This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. I'm Jonathan, that's what the theme song says. Now here's Jonathan to start the show, and I'm starting the show. Uh, we've got a good one for you. Uh, my good buddy Daniel Krause, who wrote this book, um, let, let me tell you about it. It's called The Living Dead, and the way it came about was George Romero, who we're all familiar with, because I'm just going to say he created zombies. I think a lot of people would say that he invented the modern zombie. Maybe not the Haitian voodoo style of a zombie, but if you guys ever watched the Geekscape co-produced the Doc of the Dead uh, documentary, you, you you should know a lot about zombies, and we love zombies here. Um, what ended up happening was George Romero always wanted to write this a, a prose book a, set in his dead universe. Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, you're all familiar with those zombie movies. Uh, and he had this this book that was going to go beyond the, the amount of time that he set in those books, uh, or in those movies, and Sadly, as we all know, George passed away and the book was never finished, but there was a lot of it there. And Daniel Krauss, who is going to come and join us on the show, he actually was the guy who helped finish the book, added a lot of his own stuff, but stayed very faithful to George's vision, his voice and his world. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Just reading uh, like the, the opening uh, like bit of this book where Daniel is talking about the work that went into it and the research that went into it. And of course he's a huge fan of George Romero just to begin with, but uh, it was pretty, it, it seemed pretty daunting, not just following in the footsteps of someone and trying to complete a piece of their life's work, but uh, the amount of research beyond just watching movies <laughs> and enjoying some of George's films. Uh, there's a ton of research that went into it. Um, and uh, it's something that he's familiar with. If you don't know Daniel Krause, he also helped write novels based, uh, he collaborated with Guillermo del Toro on novels uh, on Shape of, they're based on Shape of Water and Troll Hunter. So he's he's dealt with some pretty amazing visionaries and uh, I've got him on the show, but let, let's see. You might be thinking, where are you, Jonathan? You're not in the Geekscape studio. I'm in New Mexico, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I'm road tripping, as I said on the last episode, and today's episode finds us live from New Mexico. As Rick does says, Looks like Heidi kicked you out. Heidi did not kick me out. Heidi is uh, in the other room trying to keep my mom from coming in here. And like, I don't know. (laughs) She might wander in. She might wander out. But yeah, I'm at my mom's house, rural New Mexico. Don't worry. We all took the COVID test. I followed the NBA protocol in safety. And and I am uh, completely COVID free. So... Knock on wood. But we're going to talk a bunch of viruses. We're going to talk zombies, so we'll, we'll keep that theme. Uh, Heidi did not kick me out. Um, who hired Thomas? Is this going to be broadcast on Twitch as well? Yes. If you go to twitch.com slash TV, this should be broadcasting right now. So who hired Tom? If you want to check that out, if Twitch is your home, you can watch that. You're writing this from YouTube, but 
Hop on over to Twitch if you're better off there. It's even broadcasting on Periscope. You you kids down with the Periscope? Uh, <laughs> Jeff Menking says, bring in mom to ask a few questions. We might be doing that later in the show, but I don't think Daniel wants to sit around while that happens. Um, but she has been on the show before, uh, and there's a reason that uh, she lives two states away. All right, let's bring Katie in. Katie, welcome Hello. back to Geekscape. Hey, Katie's my co-host. If you don't know it, What's up, everybody? We had Katie like, last week. And uh, so far, Katie's doing all right. I think uh, the feedback on Katie is pretty positive. Feel free to leave a comment and let us know what you think of, of Katie. But people Five-star like, hey, rating, guys. That's, that's all we need. Five-star rating. <laughs> Let's Katie's see doing okay. if I'm going to make the cut. I don't know. I mean, I've been I've been working really hard before these Geekscapes. I've just been, like, practicing in the mirror. Uh, clearly, I need a little bit more <laughs> makeup on because I'm shiny AF. But, hey. I'm here and I'm glad to be here. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I, I like that sign behind you that says zero days since our last nonsense. Yes. Oh, it's flipped in my whole vision. Yes, that's that's something I love. And then also we have uh, the Avatar crew all grown up. It's a little bit. There we go. There you go. Old friends. Old I've, uh, friends. switched the whole perspective because honestly, this is how I work and uh, I didn't want to move the camera around. So this is... <laughs> It's <laughs> a little bit of a blanker wall, but <laughs> I think we're living in the age of you know I just let's just survive. Just let's just, little, just, let's little just possible. I just want to see tomorrow, so as little effort as we can, let's just uh, let's let's just make sure that we see the sunrise. Um, <laughs> I think that's an okay segue to our guest Daniel. As I said before, he's got this book, The Living Dead, that he co-authored with George A. Romero. Uh, the Zombie Godfather, Zombie Creator. I can say a million things about George, who made appearances on this very show and was our guest at ZombieCon in Seattle. We we worked with with George quite a bit while he was alive, and uh, and it's it's a memory I definitely value. He and Stan Lee, I consider like the two pop culture grandfathers that you definitely wanted. And uh, thank you, Geekscapers, for giving me that opportunity because. Uh, that was something I never would have imagined when I started this whole thing. All right, let's bring Daniel in. Kicking it from Chicago. Daniel, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing just fine. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, Daniel, I, I read your author's intro to The Living Dead, and uh, I got to tell you, a staggering amount of research, but you and I, I felt like I was reading the words and thoughts of a kindred spirit because, like, the... Night of the Living Dead is, to me, the greatest horror movie ever made. And yeah. you you said so much about that, uh, uh, about what it did uh, and what what George did as a filmmaker and as a storyteller in that intro to the book. And Geekscape is, go find The Living Dead and, and get it at your local bookstore, support your local bookstore, or find it online and, and pick it up. Um, because your your intro was enough to purchase the book. It was such a love letter to George's career, both the understood element of it and the hidden, maybe misunderstood element of his career. You know, there were, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. It was a great read. What can you tell us about uh, the situation you found yourself in where suddenly you get this phone call or this, this ability to finish a novel that George Romero started? And not only started like, hey, this was like one of his last ideas as he uh, as he was winding down his career. Uh, but this is something he wanted to do the entirety of his career, which is something I did not know until I had read your author statement. Well, yeah, I think that's basically true. I mean, he he only published one work of prose in his life. It was a short story called Clay. And it was in a uh, a paperback horror anthology in the 80s. So aside from that, it was all screenplays. Uh, that short story, though, if you can find it, and I'm looking this direction because I have that book right over there. It's Modern Masters of Horror is what it was called. Great story. So I mean, if, you've, if you can dig that up, it, it's proof that he, he did have chops when it came to writing fiction. And, you know, in around the year... 2000 i think he did take a stab at writing uh an epic zombie horror novel um and then it petered out and then maybe 10 or 12 years ago 
he took it on again in earnest and uh, worked on it sort of on and off. I think between uh, film projects, probably from what I can tell and from talking to his wife, probably when he felt the most frustrated with Hollywood, uh, he would, you know, he would sort of retreat to this project, uh, which was a place where, you know, producers could not slash his budget and cut his uh, special effects and do all those things that just drove him nuts and really plagued his career. So, yeah, so he had been, so at least for, you know, 20 years or so, he'd been trying to write uh, a novel. He didn't finish it. So I'd been aware of the novel's existence. I think the Romero superfans among us, uh, he would occasionally mention it obliquely in interviews over the, the last decade of his life. Uh, but there was never a whole lot of news about it. Um, it was just a vague thing he would allude to. So yeah, it was a, you know, it was a surprise. Uh, I get this call sort of out of the blue about it. Um, and I, even among Romero super fans, I'm a super duper fan. I, uh, I just really grew up on his movies. George Romero movies to me were like star Wars movies were to a lot of my, uh, contemporaries you know i really grew up watching his films religiously and you know night living dead i mean i saw when i was five or six and i just kept on yeah yeah i just kept on watching it because you know it was famously not copywritten so it it was on all the time and i could just watch it watch it and the movie is really less of a movie to me than it is it's really more like a song or an album you know that that means a lot to it it's such a fabric of uh, who I was growing up and who I became that I, I honestly can't, I even judge it as a piece of work anymore. It's just part of, part of me. It's part of the soundtrack and tapestry of uh, what I grew up on. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the backstory of, of the book and of me growing up with his work. Uh, And then, you know, the fact that it all came smashing together one day is pretty incredible. Well, there was a lot of Indiana Jonesing that you had to do <laughs> in putting this book together because, as I said earlier to the Geekscape, is that the book has to remain incredibly faithful to kind of the rules in the world that George set up because it did take place in the dead universe that we're, that we're familiar with from his films. Uh, at the same time, you had to add your your skills into it and in your artistry into it uh and as you're writing this thing you you start getting more material it's like george's george's continuing to contribute to the book from beyond and you're discovering uh you know either whether or not it's a small note or a letter or you're finally finding uh, somebody who has access to the PDF that he sent out back in the early 2000s. Yeah. And, and so the book starts to kind of shape itself, you know, and bounce around even as you kind of set the course. Yeah, that part of it was really peculiar for somebody who was famous for writing stories about things coming back from the dead. It really <laughs> did have this, but in a much uh, happier sense, have this sense of George uh, coming back. Like he kept coming back during this process where originally I had, I had a manuscript that he had written uh, and I thought that was it. And I, you know, commenced work, but yeah, then uh, every, it seemed like every few months there would be something else. Uh, we dug up um, another hundred pages at one point that we didn't know existed. Uh, we found a short story that had been lost to time where he goes into the head of a zombie, which was really instructive uh, because I had been keeping this, uh, and maintaining this document, trying to nail down once and for all all the zombie rules, so that I could constantly be referring to it as I wrote. You know, exactly you know, how much of a body did they eat, and how do they feel temperatures, and what do they can they smell, can they taste? So all these things, you know, by watching his movies and studying his movies, I was able to get some sense of that. But of course, this short story that we found and the manuscript and all these other things helped me complete the picture of the zombie, which is one small piece of the puzzle that was this book, but certainly a, an important one. 
Sure. What was the one, what's like one rule that you discovered in Romero's zombies that like you think that not a lot of people knew about? Well, I mean, I wish I had my cheat sheet. I mean, it's, it's filled <laughs> with, you know, his movies had these odd little occurrences that have to be part of the, the document. Like there's a, there's a scene where one's trying to drive a car, I think in, uh, I think in survival of the dead mm-hmm. um, and in survival of the dead, there's also a zombie riding a horse. Yeah. It's um, like later on they start to, remember elements of who they were when they were alive and in the, even if they were just patterns or routines like the pumping gas mm-hmm. character uh in land of the dead like you start to see the, these these familiar actions start to, to come back to the zombies yeah uh, right so you you are, you are to assume as a, a viewer uh follower of his work that they can do they can remember certain things but i definitely wanted to, to take down the notes of specific complicated things that they could do so they could possibly sort of steer a car and they, they could use a firearm to some degree. Uh, so that's kind of surprising. Uh, something I got from some of the materials we found of George is really about their senses. Uh, if we hadn't have found that short story that he had written and never published, we wouldn't have known certain things like they can distinguish Things they can tell when something's really hot or really cold, for example. Hmm. Uh, but in between, if they can sense nothing, it has to be sort of an extreme. So that's a tiny detail that doesn't really come up very often in the book. But these are good things to know when you're writing a book that that's this long. It's almost 700 pages. You're going to encounter every kind of uh, situation, so it's good to have a good grip on your zombies' characteristics. And the other thing that you do in the book that uh, that George didn't do in, in his films was that George's films, they take place in a very acute amount of time, just uh, at the most yeah. a, a few years. You carry the the story of the, the land, I mean, the world of the dead yeah. that George created, you carry it much longer. And, and, and beyond that, that kind of limited expanse of territory as well that George used, because he, he very much was very much a Pittsburgh guy, but you expand it past yeah. that in the book. But um, the poster behind you, the amusement park, is that the, mm-hmm. the that is the industrial that George made uh, for hire in the seventies? Yeah. So this was around the time. Oh, there it is. Yeah. This was around the time. <laughs> got you too. That he made the crazies, which was really around the time that I think he was really finding his uh, cinematic voice, particularly his his editing style. Uh, so if, again, if you're a fan, you've been watching the news for the last couple of years, uh, where his sort of his lost film, really the amusement park was rediscovered and it's been restored and it will be available soon. There's a company who's selling it and just kind of deciding between buyers right now. Uh, it's, it's not full length. It's a, it's a, just a little under an hour. Um, but it's fantastic. It's uh, it's really is one of my favorite of his movies. Uh, so even rarer than that movie is this movie poster. Uh, <laughs> so I, I I put it up there specifically <laughs> so that you will uh, ask me about it. Is that a, is that a flex there? Are you flexing on us? You're like, hey, yep. I got the movie poster. Yeah, I, <laughs> no, I really uh, know. <laughs> there's like, uh, what numbering is that? Is there a that, limited there, number? I, on I that think one? there is a number on that. There's, they probably just made. Uh, nine or ten of them for a, a small screening they had in it, Pittsburgh. It'd be so weird if my mom walked in with one. That would be weird. <laughs> and you just happen to have the poster. <laughs> That'd be so weird. So what part of the story did you end up having to come in on? Like, was it like a Charles Dickens uh, mystery of Edwin Drood type of thing? Where it's just like... the It was complicated. It would have been one thing had Romero written half the book and stopped. Like that, that has its own complications, but that's easy to understand. Sure. You know, you have certain plot threads, they're interacting in some ways, and you you sort of game out how it's going to work. This was much more complicated. Once we had all the materials, it was uh, a big mix of stuff that clearly was the beginning of the book, some stuff that belonged somewhere in the middle, and even stuff that was intended for the end. Okay. So it was infinitely more complicated because you had all these islands that I had to build bridges between uh, more or less. And some of the bridges were very long and complicated. So there wasn't, you know, he didn't write 
anywhere near enough for me to just seal some cracks, you know, it was going to be a major effort to pull this together and to, and to make it fluid and to make it, to make it all feel like a functioning whole. That was really difficult. Um, And that's why I had to turn to various areas of research to create not sort of an artificial intelligence, George Romero, but, but to create some sort of sense of, Cohesion or yes, yeah. I wanted to better understand how he thought and better understand his inspirations. So when I came to these gaps and it wasn't clear to me where to go, I could I could turn to the materials that he turned to hmm. and do my best to be inspired by them. Um, although ultimately, sometimes I would just have to go rogue and do my my best. You know, yeah. it is all, at the end of the day. It, you know, it's, it's <laughs> as as True to as I tried to be a Romero, um, ultimately I could only go so far. So it is a, a Romero Kraus book. There's no way around that. You're going to have to deal with some Kraus in there. <laughs> but you have also worked with people like Guillermo del Toro, and mm-hmm. uh, that is a collaboration that you had with somebody who is still breathing, who is still living. You could mm-hmm. reach out to Guillermo and and see where the the story. You know, if you have you are struck by inspiration, you can see where that kind of turn takes you. Uh, the islands, from what you were telling me, that George had written this these stories in, in pieces, almost felt like when we start plotting a film, and you you're just kind of struck by maybe set pieces or imagery, mm-hmm. and that's enough to kind of put a little gas in the tank and see where how it takes you, and ultimately the cohesion comes later when you start to see if there's anything commercial about the the project, and start saying, okay, mm-hmm. I might actually want to flesh that out and fill in those gaps for a film, and he never got a chance. When you're working with somebody like Guillermo del Toro, who's there, and whether it's Troll Hunters or The Shape of Water, uh, what was that? What's that relationship like, and how is it different? Well, I mean, when you're doing a collaboration with somebody who's alive, which is, which is to say, most collaborations. I just added Katie, <laughs> so I'm new to it. I just, I just added Katie right. last week. Just now realizing that another uh, one be a part like, of the conversation is she, she, she going to be thinking this whole time? I got it. I got yeah. it. All right, so pay attention, <laughs> and uh, I'll explain how this is going to go. Uh, so when you when you have someone uh, who's alive and out there, you that that's a really a good thing because you're going to butt up against that person in hopefully uh, constructive ways. Uh, you want that. You want there to be two viewpoints that are going to hopefully agree a lot of the time, but occasionally disagree. That's that's positive. Uh, in the same way that being Work, you know, making a film on a really low budget uh, forces you to be more creative. Uh, that's that's kind of how collaborating works in a way. Is you're you don't have free reign. You know, you have another personality interacting, and they're going to have certain druthers and things they want in there, and you're going to have to come to terms with that and bounce off those ideas and find in routes or inroads to those ideas that make you excited about them and, and inspire you and uh, allow you to do your own thing, but twist it in a new way. So, uh, you know, doing something like the Del Toro projects uh, is, you know, is easier than doing something like the Romero project. In some ways you would think it would be easier to the Romero project because you don't have anyone fighting against you. But uh, you know, my respect for George is, is, uh, so high that it the responsibility really doubled or tripled uh, of me being super sensitive to what he would have said had he been here. So I had to personally create those uh, those own sort of AI Ramiro roadblocks. So if I wanted to go one way, there would be part of me that said, you know, I'm not sure George would go that way. And we'd, I'd have to force myself to contend with that. And the fact that he wrote this book in patches like that sort of did a lot of that work for me because I couldn't just take this creator wherever I wanted because I know at some point he has this creator doing this other thing over here. So I had to get them there somehow. It almost feels like you were doing a, like a Sudoku puzzle. <laughs> You're just kind of like filling in the gaps until right. the tapestry is complete. But as you said in your author's intro, there were parts where you said, I received information well after I had uh, yeah. established these parts of the characters and George had plans for them. And when I received the information a year or two later, uh, it deviated quite a bit from these plans. And mm-hmm. 
Sorry, George. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna call dibs on this one. <laughs> yeah, generally I went with George, but there were there was a a, a funny example where we found a, a letter where he was detailing some of the plot uh, strands, and of course I was hundreds of the uh, pages into the book at that point, and he had this sort of I mean if it were something major I would have made it work, and I often re redid things, reconfigured entire sections of the book to make his uh, comments and his wishes come true but there was one instance where he had this silly line that just said and these two characters go off and have many adventures <laughs> and, that was, and that was it and i had already killed them so i was like well i'm not i'm just gonna keep them dead because he didn't really go into any specifics there well, sorry he no spin off for you guys just yeah. many adventures wasn't enough for me to keep them alive they they could have been very truncated adventures just before what you mentioned in the novel that it, it could have just been you know uh, a couple days worth of adventures and then you off them yeah or there's another book out there and it is the after dead and uh, uh, this one is maybe. the adventures into some form of a uh, I don't know post zombie next I don't know don't do that that idea is terrible <laughs> <laughs> you just gave right up on that. <laughs> Yeah. Like, you know what? No. I'm the, kind of per- I'm the kind of person that if you collaborate with me, Daniel, I'm like, hey, yeah. yeah, you know what would be really cool? Don't do this. Just do whatever yeah. you want. I don't even know why I'm here. That's why I'm adding Katie. Katie can just take over. Be ready for it, Geekscapist. And you know what? You have the endorsement of Ricto. Um, he says, glad to have Katie running as co-pilot. I'm the co-pilot now, Ricto. Uh, <laughs> a question from uh, Twitch, our friend uh I'm just, you know what? He was on YouTube and then he switched over to start watching How fun. off of Twitch because he's like, Twitch is my thing. But uh, he said, a quick question. And then he wrote a giant paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> quick question. Maybe it's going to be answered. But his cousin lives in England, wants to order the UK version and have it shipped to him because sometimes the UK versions are different. Is it going to be different with the words in the book or is it mainly going to be no. a cosmetic design difference? It's cosmetic. Uh, the The interior of the book is 100% the same. Okay, so even the accents are going to be the same. Like, Don't even think that you're getting a different version when you order the British version. It's not. It's, favorite is you know, they, O they, and not a U. They, no, I don't, th- I don't think they even changed that stuff. <laughs> they didn't. You have to do the Canadian version too, which is very frustrating because the Geekscape site is is run by uh, Derek in Vancouver, and whenever he's writing top tens and things, he puts that, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> so you're safe. You are safe getting the whatever version yes. of the book, but just get yes. the book. How long is it? It's it's 700 pages. You said. It's oh, I have it sitting right here. It's six hundred and fifty some. Show it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here, this is what it looks like. Geekscapists were watching the stream. This is what you want to pick up. Go online and order the Living Dead. Um, let's let me show you the cover. It's pretty snazzy. That's the Living Dead right there. That's what you're looking for when you get on Amazon or your local bookstore. Uh, if your local bookstore doesn't have it, tell them to order one of these things. It's the Living Dead and. Daniel Krauss co-wrote it off of George's notes and, and chapters that he had written previously. Um, and they they really found like the zombie fan to write this book with, with George. Um, do you want to talk zombies? Like ultimately without uh, taking the dead films out of it, uh, what are some of your favorite like pieces of zombie fiction? Well, you know, here we're going to have to have a little chat because I'm not, uh, in and of itself, a big zombie guy. <laughs> I was. Yeah, let's talk to you later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I I loved George Romero. I loved his films, not just his zombie films. I, I was just a huge George Romero fan. Uh, I got no problem with zombies, and I loved his zombies films. But I'm not. I'm not uh, a, a fanatic of zombies in general. I got no problem with them. Uh, but even, you know, even, and we can discuss them, and there's some great zombie films that I've loved, but they don't do anything for me special uh, like George's zombie movies did. Um, even ones that I can look at and identify as really strong films, like 28 Days Later or something like that. Sure. They still don't, they don't affect me like his zombie movies did. But I think Alex Garland's also said that that is 
not a zombie movie because of the, you know, because ultimately we have to talk about those, those roles that you were adhering to and writing the book of what are the zombie roles. And, uh, you know, he never did the brains thing. He, they were flesh eaters. And, yeah. and then, you know, it, you, you don't get the, the brain eating thing until 85, 86. There's a lot of rules. And uh, ultimately you, you got to think about things like, well, the deadites and evil dead weren't zombies and all that stuff. I think, Robert Kirkman's kind of tried to keep to a yeah. Romero type world yes, yeah. with the walking dead uh, because that kind of sticks to Romero rules. But yeah. 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 You wrote, you wrote something in your author's intro that uh, I think is true about George and having talked to George a few times about it, there was a substance to them that I can, I, that I agree with you. Most horror movies don't work for me. Um, and a lot of zombie movies just do just feel like you're waiting for that jump scare or you're setting up a bunch of pins to fall in your characters and see who uh, gets eaten next. The substance that George added to these movies was cultural, political, personal. And one of my favorite scenes in any movie is the garden trial scene in the basement. And when you, mm-hmm. when you go, when you talk to George about that scene, there's whether or not he added it, whether or not he literalized it in words after the fact of his design from the beginning, there was something subconsciously that makes the daughter eating the father in that scene, which is so grotesque and cruel and substantial. It is an incredible scene. And George was just like, yeah, there was an electric complex thing to it. And there was always another layer to George. And I'm going to warn my, my uh, listeners and viewers real quick. Uh, I think there's a lightning storm out here in rural New Mexico. So uh, if we lose power, Katie's officially the, co- the, the, the new host of Geekscape. And uh, I think you can still run the studio without me, but we'll find out. I won't be able to change things up, but it'll be interesting. <laughs> Daniel, why don't you talk about that added layer, which I think – or layers that I think it's, uh, attributes to why you think that George's stuff is on another level. Yeah, it really was. Uh, he, he wasn't overly interested in the horror genre. Really. He, I think as a, as a young man, he was, and he was inspired by certainly Richard Matheson's I am legend, Howard Hawks, the thing. Uh, those were uh, um, Panic in the Year Zero is another one that if you haven't seen it, it it's really Romero-esque. Uh, but as he got older, uh, he certainly he never watched horror films uh, as a, uh, an adult. He, he and I don't think he read a lot of horror novels. He it was not his genre of choice. Um, so I it, his he he kind of stumbled into horror. And found himself in that genre and found himself really locked in that genre, which, uh, you know, I think was tough for him because he wanted to do all sorts of genres, but um, he could only do horror. And then as he, as the years wore on, he couldn't even do just any horror. He could only get zombie movies uh, funded. So he, his niche, (laughs) he got, yeah, he got increasingly, uh, pushed into this uh, narrow, narrow hallway, but but he was also very thankful for his fans, and uh, you know did enjoy working with the the metaphor of the zombie. So he had to find again, it's like like I was talking about when you give yourself limitations, you're forced to get more creative. So maybe he wished in some ways that he wasn't tied to uh, the zombie as a, a monster character, but. You know, as long as he was, he was going to be creative and find a way to tell the stories he wanted to tell uh, with zombies. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we should be kind of excited and glad that he wasn't uh, he was fully wrapped up in the horror genre. I think that's what makes him one of our most unique horror filmmakers. So he wasn't part of any kind of feedback loop about horror. He he was out to make his own pictures and uh, he was going to do that through the lens of uh, zombie stuff or, you know, his a few other non zombie horror films. Um, and it was always going to be about something else. You know, generally his movies aren't that scary. There's a few exceptions. I think not dead is scary. Uh, Amusement park is certainly scary. Um, and his other films certainly have scary bits. Um, but generally when you watch his films, it's, these aren't, uh, 
super frightful films. They're, they're there to make you think and they're to disturb you on really other kinds of levels. Um, so I think all that stuff makes something, makes one of his uh, works so, so fascinating. It's not the fact, Dawn of the Dead isn't great because there's um, a bunch of brightly colored uh, blood every, hmm. every you know, 10 or 15 minutes. It's great because uh, all the other reasons. That's that's right. why we watch it again and again. Yeah. We're, because we're tied up with these people who are, you know, who are just in the classic Romero way, who are living out some sort of uh, iteration of the American dream that he thought uh, was ill-conceived. And in this sense, it's the idea, in the sense of Don, it's the sense that, you know, Americans can fight or work to achieve certain things that at the end of the day don't mean anything. Right. You know, right. Especially with the, the mall scenes and all that. I mean, what, what exactly like zombies, I feel like have evolved over the ages of like what they kind of represent. What would, do you see like going forward kind of even in the realm of 2020, what zombies might represent for you in the coming stories? Well, that answer is sort of in the book. I mean, you know, his, his his vision of the zombie uprising, and I do like to say uprising and not apocalypse or anything, because I, 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 he was sympathetic to the zombies and he believed it was ultimately a story of a, a, an underclass rising mm. to overtake a, a rotten upper class, essentially. Um, he, his movies took us through the first five years of the zombie uprising. The book takes us another 10. So the book does take us into what technically would be the future, um, but it moves through our our present day and into the future. So uh, in that, the whole book really is an attempt to grapple with the bigger picture of what does it all mean? What was he heading towards? Most of my research involved trying to answer this question. If he, he gave us six zombie films, so I was able to plot points one through six. Mm. And he gave me a lot of material that was beyond that, that uh, extended past that. If I know plots, if I know points one through six and I studied them and I understand them, can I then extrapolate and figure out what points seven, eight, nine, and 10 are? So that was the challenge. That was the big question I asked myself. What does it all mean? Where was he going? If he did have a chance to finish this book, or make six more zombie movies, where was he going? Where was it going to end? And I did come up with answers. I mean, we'll never know if they're the right answers, but in the author's note, which by the way is at the end of the book, not the beginning sure. of the book. So when people get the book, they look for this <laughs> intro. It's not, it's at the end. It's, they didn't cut it out. Um, uh, it will, um, the book will try to answer that. It'll try to posit a, my best guess conclusion of where it's all going. And the author's note will explain how I came to that conclusion. So if you don't, you know, if you're not, you know, if you disagree with me, you can at least see my reasoning. Sure. And ultimately that's the coolest thing about Romero is that he gave us so much to talk about okay. uh, where a lot of these uh, films that kind of uh, took what he'd started and did their own thing. A lot of it just became uh, pretty discussionless, disposable, uh, horror. And he yeah. did the one that was a statement, as Katie said, about consumerism and the rise of consumerism. He did make the one in Day of the Dead about the, the, the military industrial complex. He did make films about things yeah. as he would have if he had had a chance to do anything outside of the horror or zombie genre. Uh, we got some comments. Noel over on Facebook says, I will always wish they produced George Romero's Resident Evil script instead. How much fun would that have been? I'm not familiar with the script. Obviously, I've seen the Resident Evil movies, uh, but the game was a lot more loyal to like the Romero verse than it was to what ended up happening, which is like the running and gun, <laughs> shooting and slow mo Matrix verse that they ended up becoming. Um, how fun that would that have been? I don't know. Do we want to see Romero do? a different type of zombie as he would have done probably in the Romero or, or in uh, resident evil. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I have not read the resident evil script. Um, it's hard for me to conceive of that in a way 
like I understand that it was an opportunity he probably um, uh, felt he had to go for. And I have no doubt that what he would have come up with would have been interesting. Um, but, you know, and I'm not a video game player, so I, I can't sure. say much more about Resident Evil than what you just said, that there's some running and gunning involved. Uh, but certainly he wasn't that interested in running and gunning. Um, right. He he would have done some running and gunning to to appease the people who like that stuff. Um, <laughs> but he would have had to find a way to wedge his vision into that, um, which would have been fascinating to see. I agree. Yeah, it would have been cool to have him sort of uh, take what would have been the modern iteration of what he had started decades ago and add the running and gunning and say, okay, with the running and gunning, let me just uh, let, let me just take it and add a, a, a facet to it that probably, as you're saying, Daniel, and I, what I would argue would probably add another piece of substance to it so it's not just sort of studio run and gun franchise building, which is yeah. really just moving right. the movie you've already seen to a different uh, set piece. So it's like, okay, yeah. we did the one where we're in space. We did the one where we're in Vegas. We did the one where we're in the desert. We did the one. And it's like, okay, oh, still kind of the same movie. He made a point that yeah. the undercurrent thematically was very different in every film. He, he you know, would often say people wanted him to make Dawn of the Dead. Over and over again. That's what they wanted. They wanted more Dons of Deb. He was not going to give that to him. He no, like was a, not a, interested in that. It's like the best musicians not wanting to give you that same album over and over again because no. it's terrible. Right, right. <laughs> I think, you know, I think uh, if you go after you get through Day and you have those are the, the established, you know, classic trilogy and you get to land Diary and Survival. Um, I think had he made something Resident Evil would have been way more popular than those latter three. Particularly diary and survival, right. um, but I would I wouldn't get I wouldn't ex- make that trade in a million years. I think um, diary and survival are brilliant, brilliant movies that um, are exactly a return to his very early movies. We're talking, you know, things like the Crazies and Season of the Witch, where he's really operating and he's doing by himself and doing what he wants to do. And there, therefore, you know, alienating a large portion of the audience who wants certain, certain boxes checked in their horror. Sure. When he was just not interested in that. And you have to play that studio game. I have a story from my early screenwriting instructor, Jerome Cass, and I, I worship Jerry. Uh, Jerry was married to Delia Efron, Nora Efron's sister, and he's always telling me these great stories. But when Jerry, in I think the early 70s, late 60s, moved to L.A., he was a young screenwriter. And uh, and Jerry went to the dentist, and as he's waiting to go in, the dentist is with another patient. The dentist comes out to, to, to bring him in and says, Jerry, I want you to, to meet somebody. And he introduces him to the patient he was seeing, and it was this old German guy. And he said, uh, Jerry Cass... Fritz Lang. <laughs> and it was Fritz Lang, directed M. Metropolis. And Jerry's just blown away that this luminary is like standing in front of him. And, uh, you know, they're trying to make small talk. And he says, well, you know, I just moved to Los Angeles. I'm a burgeoning screenwriter. Uh, how are things with you? And he said, I can't get a film made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The guy who was who made like one of the most important movies to so the advent of sound in M. Like we like think about a sci-fi movie that isn't taking from Metropolis, right? Like every time you see C3PO, you're seeing a love letter to Metropolis. And uh, and how many times is Metropolis gonna be redone as a story in movies like Ants and different things? Uh <laughs> it's brilliant. And the guy couldn't get a movie made. You know, it's part of the ageism ageism on Hollywood, and it's also these filmmakers who won't fit into the assembly line mentality of franchise building and blockbuster building, you know, yeah. Chris Long could not get a gig. It's kind of crazy, right? Yeah. And that's, that's Romero's, that's his probably last couple of decades of his career for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I mean, he wrote so many scripts, his archives, which are being processed right now will eventually be public. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, you know, I've seen them and there are just so many scripts and so many that aren't very few zombie scripts, which is why they didn't get made. Um, uh, tons of scripts that aren't horror. I mean, he, he was constantly writing and, 
eventually when that stuff is revealed and you can, it's publicly searchable. Um, I think people's viewpoint of what George Miro was or wanted to be is really going to expand. I mean, there's everything from political stories to Westerns to you name it. So many, so many different genres. Uh. Well, Noel from Facebook says that the Hillman Library at Pitt has a uh, Romero archive and that the Resident Evil script is in there along with uh, a bunch of other stuff. So if yes. kids, once the pandemic is over, if you <laughs> want to make a road trip to Pittsburgh and look at the Pitt's li Pitt library, they, they have a, a Romero archive. Can you all hear the thunder going on here in New Mexico? Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought I would uh, I would hire some people to do a little bit of sound design. For this <laughs> episode. I, I thought, you know, honestly, I thought it was going to be more horror themed. And when, uh, when Daniel <laughs> said he wasn't that much of a zombie fan, then uh, you know, I, I, guys, you guys can go away. It's fine. Uh, Rick though says I feel like uh, this guy may have lied on his cover letter to get the job. He's not a zombie fan. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> no, Rick though, get out of here. Oh, Rick though, if you weren't such a loyal geekscapist, I would tell you to take it back. Well, that's kind of the most interesting thing about Romero is that his zombies are it's like it's not really about the zombies. It's kind of about how you deal with it and like how the zombies deal with. It. Yeah, the zombies are the catalyst. Um, yeah, yeah, and and uh, to retort to our last comment, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find someone who knows uh, more about Romero's zombies than I do. Uh, but I think what the estate was looking for was somebody who also knew about Romero's Night Riders, you know, um, and who knew about Romero's movies like Martin and, um, you know, who had who has the breadth of that knowledge uh, so that the concerns that Romero had that I wanted to be and they wanted to be reflected in the book had to uh, go beyond the zombie books or zombie movies as awesome as they are and i love all six of them yeah you you pretty much had to inhabit his voice in a lot of stretches of this book and uh that's pretty incredible that's an incredible feat uh because it i'm guessing that it was your unique voice and your individual voice that brought you into writing in the first place and now you had to sort of dovetail yourself into a legend and those are not easy shoes to fill you literally I mean, well, not literally, but you're as close as possible filling a legend's shoes with this uh, with this this uh, release. It's pretty amazing. It is, you know, it is an odd thing. You know, uh, as I said, one of the things I did was study the things that inspired him, and so he had certain movies. This uh, mo most of all, he had, there was an opera he loved called The Tales of Hoffman. So that was something I really studied. Uh, very hard to understand what was what was in the, that opera that he loved so much. Uh, and then for me, my tales of Hoffman was Night Living Dead. You know, mm -hmm. like that was what I studied. Um, so inhabiting inhabiting George was, you know, part of what made him him was so deeply embedded in me, almost in my DNA from such a young age that um, there. Uh, although I'm certainly no George Amiro. I did have uh, a, a very, I'd spent a lot of my life uh, very in my very formative years being very influenced by just his viewpoint, you know? So there wasn't a lot of space between us as far as our philosophies go. I spent a lot of time interviewing his wife and um, spending time with her. And when it came to, you know, me asking her about what do you think about politics or religion or technology, um, it was all very help, very helpful information, but there wasn't a lot of wiggle room between he and I. I think, uh, you know, he was a father figure to me in a lot of ways, and uh, we were very copacetic in a lot of our kind of worldview. So, Rick, though, he was the perfect guy to co write this book with George. <laughs> Rick, though, Rick, though, I love you. I didn't mean to call you. <laughs> Rick, though, is laughing, he's laughing <laughs> and uh, having fun with it, and uh. TFR84 off of uh, Twitch is now saying, I personally think a Western novel by Romero would be yes. really interesting to read. He and, loved uh, Westerns. That would have been amazing. Yeah, you were talking about him being a John Wayne fan, or at least enjoying The Quiet One. Which yeah, is, the, like, the Quiet Man. Yeah, he, he Quiet was, Man. Yeah. Ireland. Uh, That's the movie where he goes to Ireland. Is that correct? That is. That is. Yeah. And uh, it's a, it's an 
boy, it's, that's a weird movie. If you, uh, <laughs> yeah, totally weird. <laughs> it's a weird movie. And, you know, after the tales of Hoffman, I think it was probably his favorite movie. And that was another one that I watched, uh, two or three times and tried to figure out what was it about the quiet man that he liked so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was, I was doing an event in, in Pittsburgh called reflections on Romero and one of the other panelists, uh, Steve Slosman, um, was recounting about how he uh, he and George had often talked about the Quiet Man, and uh, and he he made a comment about George had told him what he liked about this movie, so oh. I didn't have to search anymore. Just and it was so it was a brain exploder. Like uh, I'm not going to tell you what it was. Uh, sorry, <laughs> but uh, it it really affected my view of the whole novel. Once I realized what he was getting out of the the Quiet Man. Uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is a major theme of the book. Uh, and if I had missed it so far in the pages, I wasn't going to miss it anymore. And I was going to drive home this point. So there were, it was it was I mean, the process was so unique. It was filled with moments like that of just having these s- small eureka moments. Wow. Daniel, that is amazing. Uh fantastic one last question Noel over on facebook says has the living dead been optioned by a film studio i'm not sure you'd even be able to tell us if that was something that has happened um i'd be able to tell you if it was public okay right yeah that being said optioned by a film studio i don't know if a uh, a book with this breadth uh can be done as a film i think this may be something that is a a series and the series stuff is all a rage right now and, and you know it sounds like this the, the expanse of what you cover in this book, you know, we're looking at it. Let's let's go to a streamer. Let's, I'm not your rep, but let's go, let's let's talk to streamers. The streamers, if you're watching this, let's 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 talk here. Let's let, we got we got Daniel Krause here, and he's got this book, and maybe you'd be interested, but we'll see. We maybe we can connect to you over there. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing right here. <laughs> and then Noel comes back with right up Peter Jackson's alley. LOL, <laughs> expanding things even further. You need to. Let's take that children's book and make it three films. Uh, (laughs) Katie, you were going to add something? I was just going to ask, Daniel, do you have um, any scripts of your own, like feature film scripts that you're thinking about working on? Uh, Well, yeah, I'm working on some um, that also aren't public yet that, that are uh, related to, you know, books, adaptations of books that I've written. Um, Beyond that, no, but that's plenty. Okay. Geekscapist Daniel Krause, who didn't just write The Living Dead, you can also see his collaboration with Guillermo del Toro on The Shape of Water and Troll Hunters, and he's got tons of books of his own. Uh, search for him again. You're going to look for Daniel Krause. That's his name right there at the bottom of the screen, or you guys are going to have to look it up online, Geekscapist, or listening on the podcast. Um, you're going to search for him. You're going to find him over at your local bookstore or online, and you're going to order everything that has mm. his name on it. Yes. Okay. By the way, Troll Hunter is both the book and the series. I think is fantastic. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you very much. He, oh, and I should I should mention the Living Dead isn't out yet, so it's out yeah. on August fourth. So if you go to an actual physical store, it will not be there. <laughs> you go to that physical store and you say, "Listen, if you don't pre-order this right now, I got a whole lot of bricks I don't know what to do with." Oh man! All right. And, uh, exciting. <laughs> that's right. I'll make this thing. Yeah, I'm not going to get political. All right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, TFRA4 back on Twitch says, Dan, when horror cons and everything is back to normal, will you be back making appearances at them? Yeah, I'm sure I will. We, th- I had a, a million appearances planned. There was a huge book tour. Um, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was going to be around this book. So um, that's all gone. Um, I'm sorry. And now he has to be on Geekscape. I am so sorry. <laughs> no. How low we've fallen. What are you gonna do? Uh, <laughs> we were just bemoaning the death of Comic Con on our last yeah. podcast. And now we're like, eh. I will tell you this, though, Dan. Um, if San Diego Comic Con sounds like your jam and it is there next summer, let's go ahead and talk to Tor about you coming down to the Geekscape booth and doing an appearance and signing some books yeah. and maybe uh, putting some promotion out for The Living Dead or whatever, whatever else you have. It's something that we've. Uh, told uh, your tour uh, publishing mate, Chris Cluey, who has a book out on tour, has been on the show. I said, hey, yeah. if you can get yourself to San Diego next summer, come on down to the Geekscape booth and uh, we'll throw you up at the booth and you can sign some and, you know, talk yeah. to fans, whatever you yeah. want. Well, in in theory, the uh, paperback will be close to coming out by then. So I'm hoping there'll be another round, another chance to do some of this stuff. 
Cool. Yeah. Well, those are much easier to carry to San Diego. Yeah. Much lighter shipping. And uh, we might even get Matt Kelly to help you bring the books into this, to the to the convention center or something. I'm serious. We want you at the booth. Uh, and of course, uh, TF is back and says, have to get you to Monster Mania in Hunt Valley in Maryland next mm -hmm. year. That would be huge. And I know that uh, Matt Kelly and the geeks over at uh, Horror Movie Night, which is another Geekscape podcast on our network, mm -hmm. they are at Monster Mania a whole lot. And uh, they cut, they're in, Matt's in Philly. So Monster Mania is definitely one that he hits up. And uh, they have a booth there for, for our other podcasts. Yeah, and, I'd love that. Uh, yeah. That'd be amazing. And maybe they can meet TFR84, uh, who I believe is straight edge. I don't think Matt drinks alcohol either. So you guys can all hang out and have X's on your hands and hang his, out. Uh, his name just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, TFR84. Eggs of Turf 84. We got you. Uh, Daniel, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yes. yes. Uh, thank you so much. Again, Geeks gave us the book. comes out August 4th. The Living Dead, the title, and the cover look like that if you're watching live. Um, and he co-wrote it with George A. Romero. That's a, quite a feat, dude. And you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say you pulled it off. Thank you. Thank you very much. Love you, Daniel. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Katie, I think that went swimmingly. Yeah. I no, like this great. Daniel guy. Um, I have a, uh, do you want to meet my mom? Is that right? <laughs> oh, please do. I will let you know right now. My computer screen has gone completely blank, so I can hear you. I have, I have no what way. What is going on with you? Uh, uh, let, let me just, uh, uh, Heidi, mom. <laughs> Let's see if we can get her in here. Oh, uh, so Daniel is like hanging out. Daniel's hanging out, like watching the shenanigans in the waiting room. Uh, <laughs> Daniel wants to meet my mom. Heidi, oh, come okay. over here. Heidi, you get over here too. Come here. Uh, Geekscape is for listening to the podcast. I'm hoping to make this uh, something you can still want to listen to. She's mom, very shy. Here you are, mom. Oh, hey. Let me tell you something. We went and got these coronavirus tests to make sure that we could safely visit my mom here. And I stuck this freaking uh, thing up my nose into my brain. It was not unlike something, some way that you would take out a uh, a zombie. But they said, they gave me this enormous Q-tip. And they said, shove it into your nose until it stops and wiggle it around. And I did this so that I could see my mom and be safe. And uh, I got those results and I showed up the, like immediately. Uh, mom, this is Katie. This is Daniel. And uh, and she is hello. saying hello. So, uh, mom, yes. I love you. I love you. Anything you so want to say to Daniel and Katie and the Geeks gave us? Hello. And I'm glad you are watching this wonderful man. All right, there we go. You love you, mom, so you much. All right, thank you guys. Uh, I think you're okay. And they're Thanks, saying, guys. You did it to yourself. Hello, they're saying a bunch of stuff. Love you, mom. Uh, love thank you. you. Geekscapist, we are on this road trip across the country, and uh, it's a lot of fun, but this is the chance we have. We're all kind of working from home. We're doing this thing. We're working remotely. Next Geekscape's going to be a little early. That's Thursday, and I, uh, my guest is on the East Coast, but uh, also has a podcast in the evening, so I'm going to take the morning slot. He's Vinny Fiorello. He was the uh, drummer for Lesson Jake, and they, uh, he wrote all the lyrics. He's got a ska meets comic book uh, project. Uh, called The Inevitables that looks pretty awesome. If you guys look, go on Kickstarter and search for The Inevitables right now, you'll find the project. It's got a, it's kind of like a super group, a ska super group. It's got people from Real Big Fish, a ton of other bands, all in one thing, and they're they're kind of uh, putting out a comic book and an album together. And he's going to talk about it uh, on Thursday. But I'll tell you what, if you're going to watch it live, and you're the, if you're on the East Coast, it's amazing. It's at 11 a.m. But if you're on the West Coast, it's 8 a.m. I'm guessing Katie's not going to co-pilot that one. Sorry, I have work. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Uh, and uh, Geekscapers, we'll see you on the next Geekscape there on Thursday. And uh, subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. And you don't have to wake up at 8 a.m. to watch it. You can always get it, like, uh, whenever you get it on your, your podcatcher and all that. Leave us a review and all that. Uh, Heidi's just creeping in the, in the shop. <laughs> I'm just, you're taking the road trip for me, so thank you. He's yeah. helping me bring some stuff back for my mother, so he's being a very good boyfriend. Just had to date a guy. Uh, just had to date a girl who uh, grew up in South Carolina and left a bunch of stuff there. Mm. <laughs> Wait, did I gender right? <laughs> thank y'all. <Yeah. you. laughs> Thanks, um, Daniel. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show and sitting through whatever that was. And uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Best of luck, dude. And I'm not being facetious 
let's clean up this virus. Let's get ourselves back into the convention space and let's see you in San Diego. Yeah, Come I, be our so. guest. I would love to have you at the booth. Um, and just, uh, we, we love having authors. Yeah. The- yeah. Planning on it. Okay. Uh, Geekscape us. That's what we got. We love you. Katie, anything to add? Uh, guys, don't go with an Acer computer because it crashes. <laughs> All right. I can't say it better than that. Uh, we will never get that sponsorship. Thank you. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's or give me the tech support. I don't know what's <laughs> happening here. Hey, Katie. Thank you so much. Geekscape us. We will uh, see you next time. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.